the, the focus that I have now is not on more money. You know, becoming a billionaire for me is a billion lives that I've served. And so to start the first phase of that is a million shackles that are broken. And I'm talking financial shackles. So all the work I do with my companies and the teaching, it's all about breaking people free from the shackles because these shackles are self-imposed based on our belief systems and our habits and our routines. And so if we can bring awareness to that, we can free people. And it's not about some, some law that's going to change. It's about mm -hmm. people saying, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to take total responsibility. That will shift everything. So that's what I focus on. And that's what all, this, all the companies are focused on. Hey, it's Matt, and this is Pass the Secret Sauce. Hey, everyone. Today's guest is none other than Damian Lupo, who is an absolutely, absolutely fascinating gentleman. I had a great time talking with him. If you're in the financial world, the financial circles, you, you follow investing, you probably have heard of Damien. He's the author of more than 12 best-selling books on personal finance, investment, retirement strategies, and he actually has a, a huge mission that he's set for himself. He basically is looking to free a, a million people from financial bondage. So pretty, uh, pretty lofty goals there. But we basically, we talk about his, his life, his story of growing up and how he got started in, in business, which is actually putting a house on a credit card. He rolled that into many, many more properties. And unfortunately, in 2008, he went through the financial crisis and basically lost about $20 million business. So he basically lost that and then brought it all back, remade all of his wealth within less than the next five years. So again, fascinating story about how he's done all of this. And he has a great outlook on many different facets of investing. I hope you enjoy listening to Damien's story. It was chaos. Dinner yeah. table was was about people yelling at each other. It was not like the the Cosby's or one of these you know shows or something. It was definitely mayhem, and uh, it was pretty much spaghetti and steak and yelling. So it was kind of a <laughs> weird way to start, but that's how it was. <laughs> did, did, did you have any brothers or sisters or anything? Or that's why we had the yelling. Oh. <laughs> it was just us yelling. In fact, it was funny because my I remember I would look at my sister to terrorize her. Uh, she was a couple years younger than me. And she would scream and go, stop yelling at me or stop looking at me. And my, my parents would say, what, what? I'm like, I don't know what she's talking about. She's crazy. So <laughs> I, I apologize to her for that. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I think us older brothers always had to do that. I did similar, similar things like that to my sister. So, yep. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, so you've had a great entrepreneurial journey here. Did you have any uh, jobs or anything like that you, that you started when you were young? Were you the kid slinging candy or anything like that? Were you, did you have an entrepreneurial bug at an early age? Yeah, I mean, I had, I, including the selling the candy, the problem with the selling the candy is like the world's greatest, or fi world's finest chocolate or whatever it was. I sold those, but I ate more than half my stock. So I ended, <laughs> always ended up in a deficit, which was a big problem. And I ended up gaining a bunch of weight. But um, I, I did, I mean, my, my first business was when I was 11, at least that I remember. And that's when I was doing um, wholesale retail Nintendo games. And I hired my parents to drive me around because obviously at 11, <laughs> unless you're in Montana, you can't drive. Yeah. So I, that was that was early on, and it was always there because it was weird. You know, sometimes I I, I think people are crazy coddling their kids these days and making kids weak. Uh, there's a value in making kids struggle, and I think a lot of parents are are hesitant to do that because they don't want to have their kids feeling pain. My parents gave me a message. The message was, "We don't have enough money. We're broke. 
and sorry, we don't have any money. Like my budget for, for clothes every year was a hundred bucks mm-hmm. total for everything, shoes, sweaters, jeans. And I got tired of it. And so that frustration led me to going out there and hustling. And I think it's a missing element to a lot of people that have been giving it, given a trophy their entire life for showing up. I didn't get a trophy. I didn't even get a play because my parents told me we don't have the money for it. So I was out there hustling, making it, making it happen. And I think that's valuable to make people you know, struggle. It, it builds character. I 100% agree. That's, that's fantastic. So, so talk about some of the other companies that you created at a very young age. Was it, did you see a need in the market somewhere or anything like that? Obviously with the Nintendo games, it was probably your, your friends that, you know, Hey, I, I need this game or I want that game. So you kind of facilitated that, but uh, you know, your, your first, you know, maybe uh, a big company that you were really, really proud of that, that you wanted to talk about. So I remember doing things. I, I, w- I was in college and a couple of things in college. One, I remember doing like coupon clipping business where you paid 500 bucks and you got this uh, business in a box. And it was a complete disaster because I didn't know anything about business and I had no mentors. My buddy and I started it. We didn't realize that we needed an 800 number. For example, it was out of state people. And you know it doesn't work if you have a local number. So that didn't really work. But the, the other business I had in a different college that actually got me thrown out of school was I started a bookstore and this is pre Amazon. And when I did that, I put the bookstore on campus out of business because I was doing all of the, all of the resale for all the used books. And I just squeezed the margins and ultimately everybody wanted to buy and sell their books through me. So in a week I paid for school, but that week I was also thrown out of school because (laughs) I put the bookstore out of business and that really pissed off the administration. Yeah. So that was relatively successful. It paid for school in a week. And then, you know, it kind of continued from there where I, started other businesses, insurance companies, real estate development. But that was, that, that was the first kind of accidental you know, hustling. And, there, and then I started learning their actual principles and fundamentals that I wrote about in Unicornomics. Mm-hmm. And those things are incredibly important if you want to have an actual chance of success. That's fantastic. So can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you learned starting that first business? Like, How, how did you find the, the first people that, you know, the first students that bought their books from you rather than going to the bookstore? How did you get that word out? You know, I, I think this is a, very much a, a Gary V hustle maneuver. When I was there, I was upset because it was the second or third college that I'd gone to. And I just remember thinking, I buy the book for a hundred bucks and I sell it back for 50. And then they turn around and sell it to my neighbor next to me for 75. And it made me, it made me <laughs> mad. And, and what I realized is, and when I look back, there's always these, there's these things that make us mad. We feel like this is an inefficiency or the market's screwing us. There's, you know, they're gouging us. And there's always an opportunity when that's going on. And so what I did is I, I needed to let people know I was in that business that I could help them keep more of their money, which most people are pretty in, in, in uh, they like that. Even if they're a socialist, they like to keep their own money. They just want to take your money. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just went to the post office and convinced them to let me put a flyer in everybody's mailbox without a stamp, which is probably against the freaking oh, law. Wow. It's probably a felony. <laughs> so they did it and, they, and I, I put the flyers in there. And then within a couple of days, I had piles and piles of flyers saying, hey, I need these books. I have these books. And so I just ran around campus picking books up because I didn't have any money. Yeah. So I had to go pick up Bob's book to go give it to Sam. Sam gave me money and then I brought it over to Bob. And it was just this crazy hustle and it worked. You know, I mean, that's what it takes. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's a great story. So, so what happened after, did you ever end up graduating college or did you get thrown out and then, then, uh, you know, start, start some other companies? What, what happened next? So after, after that, I went back and I started working and I, I realized I got a job working for a bank uh, at the time, Wells Fargo and Norwest were working or merging together. And so I got a job there. I was supposed to make a bunch of money at, in commission sales. And after the first quarter, I was supposed to make about 25,000 that quarter in, in bonus 
and they retroactively changed their commission program and Wells Fargo screwed all their commission people and said, oh yeah, it's 500 bucks, not 25,000. So all the best talent left. Mm-hmm. And, and after that, I thought, I'm going to drive my own ship. And it was then that I went and started an insurance company and I was able to hustle and start building an actual business. And, it, and things did change. Ultimately, I, I went back to college and, and thought, I'm going to be, I'm, gonna, I'm going to get a PhD. This was my plan. <laughs> and, it, and I had to actually finish a bachelor's. So when I did that, I go into my first class was this government class. And the teacher, I remember it vividly. She said, okay, who knows what government is for? And people are answering and they're all, you know, a bunch of 18 year old morons, more or less, that didn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. And I, I was listening and she said, okay, nobody, nobody really got it. Here's the answer. And everybody's memorizing things, taking notes. And they, and she said, the purpose of government is to figure out what resources to develop and then how to distribute those amongst the people. And I was like, wow, Karl Marx is teaching this class. <laughs> so I was out of there, man. It, just, it didn't yeah. work because that's what our system is doing. It's teaching socialism and it's teaching blind obedience to teach us how to be robots. And I just don't buy into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs probably follow that, that same mindset as well. You know, everybody wants to do it their own way. And, you know, that's, in my opinion, the best way to be able to, to, to run things. So, so, so talk about some of the, the books that you've written. You've, you've written quite a few of them. What made you want to get into book marketing and, and you know, spreading your message in, in that uh, medium? Well, it's, it's a weird thing. When you get pregnant with a book, you can't just like, you know, you're like eight and a half months pregnant by the time you realize you have a book. And you're like, okay, I can't do anything except have this book. And so you have to give birth to the book. Mm-hmm. And what, what happens, what I mean by this is there's all this stuff. I write these books mostly because I have stuff, these experiences, not because I've read a book and I'm repackaging it, but I've actually had experiences and intelligence around the scar tissue. And I want to share that with people. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. And I also don't want to make the same dumb mistakes again, so I memorialize it in these books, partially just to protect me from me and and my own routines. So I'll write a book, and then usually what happens is a few people here and there actually say, you know what, that's useful information. I don't want to be as stupid as you were. And so they go, this is good stuff. I'm going to actually leverage off of you, which is the whole point of having mentors and people before you. Life is too short to make all the mistakes ourselves. So it's always a good idea to go find people that have been through it that actually know what they're talking about, not Ivy, Ivy, you know, these, these towers 
know, where people are academics and they haven't actually done it. They just study it. And then they tell you what to do and they have no idea. It's actually going out there and listening to people that have done it. So the books that I've, I've written are from like my very first book. If you want to see the worst looking book ever published, it's called Maverick Mistakes in Real Estate Investing. Lessons I learned and the, the mistakes I made and the lessons I learned at the University of the School of Hard Knocks and the University of Getting the Crap Kicked Out of Me. And it was it was how I lost a fr my first million bucks in real estate. Mm -hmm. So very relevant. And it was fascinating, Matt, that people beat it up on Amazon. I'm like, look, I know you didn't like the cover. You sure as hell didn't read the book because what you're saying here is this is all obvious. And I was like, really, really obvious. Let me see your balance sheet. Let me see what you did because I was just sharing what I'd done. And it's fascinating how easy it is to tear down the person that's done it. But you know, there's never a there's never a tower or statue erected to the critic. So I exactly. guess that's how it is. Yeah, yeah. So so you had already lost a million dollars. Can you talk a little bit about the the types of company or the types of things that you were investing in that you lost, and and maybe a little bit of that story about how you lost it as well? Well, there's an interesting thing with business and real estate investing that if you're doing it, you're going to lose money. And if somebody says I've been doing this for five or ten years, and they say I've never lost a dime, either they didn't do much or they're lying. Because that's just the nature of it. I was I was buying houses and holding them long term, doing things where I was financing them, and I made lots of mistakes because I was trying everything. And there were certain things. I remember one house I bought. I didn't realize it had an adjustable rate mortgage on it because that's how naive oh, wow. I was. Yeah. And and then it adjusted six months later. I I took over financing, and so my payment went up by five hundred. But I had resold it to somebody that was making payments to me that were fixed for thirty years. And I thought I, I started doing the math, and I went. Okay, I'm going to lose $400 a month. That's 5,000 a year times 30. That's $150,000. Yeah. So, you know, I, I made one little mistake, didn't read the the financing, and that was $150,000 mistake. So, it doesn't take a whole lot to make those type of mistakes. $10,000, $20,000 mistakes are easy, easy, easy. The problem is when you do things like 50 and $100,000 mistakes, some of those things can actually sink you, which is why you need the bald and the gray. Those people that have seen it, so they the see what's the coming around the corner. I like that. I like that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So you lost all of the investments and everything, but then you gained it back very, very quickly, correct? Well, this is so along the way, the first five years, I was making money and losing money in, in some of them, but generally it was making money. I was just, I, I out hustled the losses. So mm -hmm. it wasn't, it was great. I mean, those five years I've ended up buying 150 houses and then I sold a bunch of almost all of them. And then I started building other stuff. And I got so good that my ego was like, 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And I thought I could do no wrong. So I went out and started developing and a lot of other things, bought apartments. And in 2007, I had, it was either five or seven projects that were supposed to net me a million each. Mm -hmm. And so my net worth went from somewhere between five and 10 million with a $20 million portfolio to negative 5 million when I was wrong on every single one of those. Wow. So that's when I truly lost everything. I lost 20 million in assets and I had mm -hmm. a negative 5 million net worth. The biggest problem wasn't the money though. It was that all I was, was the balance sheet. And I, coming back from that, I had to reassess what the point was because having more money is just more. It's not better. It's just more. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, I think we, most of us don't really think about that. We just go, it would be better if I made more money. It would be better if I had more money in my bank account. It would be better if I had more doors. And I ask why, what's the difference between 200 and 500 doors or 500 and a thousand? What will change in your life? Are you going to have another jet? I have friends that don't have enough fun with their one jet. They bought a second one. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? Like, because you needed, it needed a friend. And so there's, there's this weird ego that just needs to be fed until we actually find, we find fulfillment in the stillness and the things that actually matter. And so I think we need to have those together. I'm not saying don't go out and hustle, 
I love hustling. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, there's more to life than just a bigger balance sheet if that's all you're doing. Yeah. And so what did you personally find your, your peace and your solace in? What, what, do, you, what do you build companies for today? Like, what, what are you trying to achieve? So the, the, the purpose of what I'm doing, there's, there's an underlying purpose and it's called Mastery. It's a great book, by the way, by George Leonard. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with martial arts, which I'm, that's a big part of my background and what I do with teaching and things. And it's about pursuing something with a never-ending struggle towards perfection, if you will, that you're never going to get to. So you're never going to achieve mastery. It's just the, the process. And Malcolm Gladwell talked about it in, in his book where he's talking about 10,000 hours. That's how many hours it takes to do something to where you have mastery. Not true, but there's a sense of sort of a mastery. Like my first black belt took me probably 5,000 hours, and it was another 5,000 hours to get to a point where I felt like halfway competent. So, you know, there's, there's that focus. The, the focus that I have now is not on more money. You know, becoming a billionaire for me is a billion lives that I've served. Mm-hmm. And so to start the first phase of that is a million shackles that are broken. And I'm talking financial shackles. So all the work I do with my companies and the teaching, it's all about breaking people free from the shackles because these shackles are self-imposed based on our belief systems and our habits and our routines. And so if we can bring awareness to that, we can free people. And it's not about some, some law that's going to change. It's about mm-hmm. people saying, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to take total responsibility. That will shift everything. So that's what I focus on. And that's what all, this, all the companies are focused on. I love that. I love that. I've, I've, I've kind of gone through some of those transformations in my life as well. And, you know, when you take responsibility and you, you uh, move on your, your actions and follow through on everything that you say, I mean, everything starts to, to change, you know, just even the little, little things in your lives. Can you talk a little bit about uh, EQRP and what that book is about and you know, who, it, who it helps? Sure. Yeah. The, the, uh, so the, the book that I wrote a number of years ago, and I, I update it I, each year with new laws and changes, it's called the QRP book. And it's about mm-hmm. the EQRP, the Enhanced Qualified Retirement Plan. And basically what this is, it's a retirement account. And the book talks about all these things in this space. Most of us, put it this way, most people's wealth is in their retirement accounts and their house. You can't eat the equity in your house. So what are you going to do? You're going to look for your retirement account to feed you. And most people are getting absolutely screwed, raped and pillaged from Wall Street, taking money and just churning it and burning it. And we wake up one day going, what happened? And we're broke and we're supposed to be rich. We're supposed to be free. The EQRP gives people control of the money, takes it away from Wall Street, puts it into Main Street and allows people to do things like buying real estate, buying multifamily, buying mini storage, buying physical gold, things that we can control, things that are not a lie, mutual funds and, and pensions and all this kind of stuff. It's a lie. It was set up to feed Wall Street, a very, very small number of people, banks and elitists, that basically scrape all the fees. In fact, John Bogle, the the founder who passed away of Vanguard, one of the biggest financial institutions in the world, said something's wrong when the person that puts up all the risk capital ends up with 20% of the actual return and 80% of the return goes to the people that have none of the risk. So Wall Street is taking 80% of the freaking returns and the person ends up with 20. How can that be? Because the system is rigged against us, and yet we're told, do good, get good grades, get a job, invest in your 401k, have a well-diversified portfolio of crap, and everything will be good. You can't turn chicken salad, you can't turn chicken shit into chicken salad if you just stir it around. Like, yeah. it's still crap. So that's ultimately what we're, what we're focused on is giving people control so they can do something that is, is predictable, predictable, and they're not just stuck and hoping. Because ultimately, what are we going to do? Smoke a bunch of hopium? That's our plan. Like that isn't going to work. Wake up one day. I hope it works. Dude, you're dead. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's great. And who would you say would benefit the most from reading EQRP? Is it is it someone who already has you know all the different funds and all of that, or is it is it more served to people that are just getting started, or both? What are your thoughts there? Anybody that doesn't feel certain around their financial future that that is relying on Wall Street, this is the book for you. It's to help you understand what your options are. Because ultimately, if you don't know what your options are, you're just going to sit there, you know, swimming in a circle. It's like a merry-go-round underwater. You're going to drown eventually, but you're kind of going in circles. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a book for somebody that says, okay, I want to do something different that I actually am in charge of and control. Excellent. I love it. I love it. What uh, What's next for you, would you say? Do you have more books in the works or any other businesses that you're working on? Yeah, I spend a lot of time teaching and, and bringing light to things and really – there's a belief, a fundamental belief I have that people know the truth if you ask them the right questions. So Tony Robbins had a, a documentary called I Am Not Your Guru. Yeah. And I feel like that's the same thing. People ask me questions. What should I do? What should I invest in? And I'm, I'm looking at them and I say, I have no idea. I know some really good questions. So I do a lot of training with with helping people design their lives to help pull out the the pieces that need to be put in place so people have a foundation that's not quicksand. And so it's, it's really just more and more of that, finding ways to serve more people and giving them a chance, a mm-hmm. chance for, their, for them to actually have a life by design and not a life by default. That's the worst ever when you just go, well, I guess this is how it's supposed to be. And we relegate ourselves into a life of, of tiptoeing safely to death's door. It's a horrible existence mm-hmm. and it's not necessary. So what's next is more of the teaching, more not because I read a book and I'm going to share the book. I mean, I do that, but it's, it's because I keep living things and I can say, okay, based on what I know and what I've done, here's the scar tissue. Let me tell you what my experience is. I think that's very valuable because we can all read the same books, but we want to know what it's really like, like in real life, not just what the pages said, but what is it like to go and and buy a big apartment complex? What really happens? Is it just mailbox money? I don't think so. There's more to it than that. It takes a whole lot of work and oftentimes some blood and some tears. That is very true. That is very true. Well, Damien, this is fantastic. Um, if people wanted to learn more about you, more, your products, contact you, what would you say is the best way to, to accomplish that? Uh, I think the best thing people can do is reach out. If, you, if, you wanna interest, if you're interested in learning about the QRP stuff, I think that's a great place to start. It'll also connect you to me. And the easiest way to do that is to text the word EQRP to 72000. And it'll, it'll give you a 15-page report on what this is. And I think it's useful because even if you don't have a retirement account or don't even care about retirement accounts, the reality is we all know people that have retirement accounts and are nervous because in 2020, for example, we are watching a bowl shake and bleed. And a lot of people's lives are tied up into those things. And maybe you're going to give them a chance of having a life that's not going to be a disaster when they're 60 or 70. Maybe you're the one that becomes their superhero. So text the word EQRP to 72,000 and you'll have something that either might be useful for you or definitely is going to be useful for somebody else. Please, please get that and share it with people. Love it. Love it. Excellent, Damien. Uh, Again, thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Uh, This was fun and uh, we will be in touch soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.